0: Thanks for tuning in to the Sounds of Healing podcast. You will discover a new way of being using the power of sound and vibrations. We'll be having conversations with new thought leaders, sound healers, and mind-body experts. Listen and find the path to your elevated dreams. I am so beyond excited to introduce to you this extraordinary musician and well, it's hard to explain all that you do, Michael Whalen.
1: It, it is great to be here with you.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And I'd like to share about your background so we can give people a taste of your amazing life. Okay. it to uh, the world. Is that all oh right? Oh, my God.
1: It's, it's okay. I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I just had a birthday, so I'm I'm feeling my age. We won't go too long on the, on the description, but, uh, my background is, uh, I started as a percussionist. So when I was five, I, I, I learned, uh, started taking drum lessons and I was crazy about drums and crazy about music. I was crazy about the Beatles. I was crazy. So, uh, then, um, I think it was in high school where I started playing with keyboards and playing with the idea of that. So when I was about 14, I bugged my mother into buying my first synthesizer for me. And uh, that was a huge turn in the road in terms of going from being a drummer to being I didn't really ever want to be like a pianist I like I was more interested in becoming a composer which you know now you know four decades later I am but um but the synthesizer really opened up all those textures and all those possibilities um then I went to college um and then in 1987 I moved to New York and I got my first job working as a baby junior composer and a studio assistant and I worked my way up for a couple of years and then I went on my own in 1989 as a freelancer. I worked for every commercial music house in New York and a lot of them in Los Angeles and then in 1995 I started doing uh, television and movies and in my own studio and then my life blew up but the but I think I for the purposes of today's conversation um, my first real solo album came out in 1996. It was a record that I did called Night Scenes. It came out on Hearts of Space and a uh, very ambient record, uh, but it really sort of set the tone for all of the music that I've made since.
0: Wow, it's it's really so beyond impressive. I, I want to ask you, I know you experienced COVID and how, has that woven into today i'd love to talk about sacred spaces and just wondering if there's been some silver linings and what the timing of covid with your creation of that
1: um so sacred spaces came out in march and we were you know deep in the middle of all the release stuff for sacred spaces and then near the end of april i got covid and uh i was really on my back for a couple of weeks i did not have to go to the hospital thank goodness but uh, it's the sickest I've ever felt in my life. I felt like I was hit by a truck and I, uh, by all, by all stretches, I had a mild case. So guys, COVID is for real. Um, But while I was recovering from COVID, um, I, well, my day job is that I run a record company. I run Mindstream, which is based in Los Angeles, even though I'm here in New York city. And one of our, uh, artist who hadn't done any recording for us in a while, had sent me some of his music, a wonderful flute player named Blue Monk. And he was like, hey, what do you think? And I was like, the flute playing is beautiful, but I'm, I'm not sure about the music. Can I can I just play with something for a second? So he sent me the session, kept the flute, got rid of everything else. And then I rebuilt all of the music around his flute. And I sent it back to him. I was like, what do you think? He's like, this is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So then over the next two and a half weeks, we were sending tracks back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I mean, literally, Karen, in two and a half weeks, we had an album. So Karmic wow. Dream," "Karmic Dreams came out in September. I was not planning on doing an album, on a second album this year. And uh, it just kind of, it was just kind of right there. But uh, to answer your question, I think being creative while I was recovering was really helpful. Um, I mean, I think being focused on something other than how how lousy i felt cuz i was having these terrible body aches and terrible you know feverish and whatever so if i could work for 2 or 3 hours a day and do some music and just sort of get out of my head it really 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 helped me a lot and uh the record came together really incredibly quickly and i'm really proud of it it's been it's been really really great that it happened
0: wow that's beautiful and thanks for sharing i i love sharing with the listeners ways that we can reinvent ourselves and just become ourselves even more. So that's, that's beautiful to know that the creative process really connects us with who we are and our yeah. gifts. And that's beautiful. Yeah. Wow. I really hear, I don't in a, in a really good way, in your last two albums, 2020, like in a really positive way, it's like yeah. really new sounds and it's just experiential and it's, it's powerful and it has hope in it. And one thing I I yeah, one thing I think about is the shift from Renaissance music to Baroque music when the music was to serve the dancers and then the music became the dance. And Mm. so for you I I feel like the music had the role to serve movies and now it is the sonic movie and it it sonically paints a story. And Mm. it's so powerful. I, I have this concept that kind of interweaves with the mindfulness and the whole talk, topic that i want to ask about this reference to sacred and you know otherworldliness and just that we are always having this soundtrack to our own lives. Yeah. And and that is really what you do and i i have so many things i want to ask you that i know
1: no run. Out. No no no, we have we have inf- we have infinite time. Oh, I mean, it, 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 it's funny for a long time my company slogan was soundtracks for life and other movies. And, yeah, for a a long time. And, you know, and my clients, my my TV and film clients loved it because they were like, I'm not sure what that means. I'm like, have you guys heard any of my solo recordings? (laughs) Oh, no. And so it it became this, uh, I mean, for me, it was sort of like my declaration of independence from writing other people's music. So I've worked on thousands of commercials and hundreds of TV shows, and I've done a couple of dozen features and whatever, and and I'm very proud of the music that I've done, and I've won two Emmys, blah, 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 blah. Okay. But I all of that music goes into the category of other people's music. So that that lives in another sort of emotional space for me. And I'm very practical and I'm very pragmatic and I'm a, I'm a producer who makes decisions very, very quickly. And I think it's, you know, cause it's New York city and, and, you know, you gotta, you gotta do things quickly and whatever. So I'm a very decisive person in that realm, but when I'm doing music for myself, it's, it's, it's like Uh, like an emotional trance you put yourself into it's like you really put yourself into that space so I mean sacred spaces oh boy how much time do you have I mean I spent almost 10 years putting that project together because it started as something completely different it started as a classical piece I was going to write a string symphony with a whole thing it was going to be about my search for God and it was going to be this whole thing and I just hit the wall I, I I was going along, going along, and and it became like this totally ego-driven, gross, sort of like, yes, yeah, so I'm going to demonstrate how great I am. Now, I have done many classical pieces. I've done a couple of dozen classical pieces and I've done albums and blah, blah, blah. But this was going to be like the crowning achievement of myself as a, a classical fan. And you know, and I don't know what your experience is when you do your music, but when I do something which is so completely ego-driven, there's no fuel for it. There's no oxygen for it because it becomes so much about looking good. So it hit the wall. I put the project away. I put it on a shelf for years, just went away. So then about three years ago, I was going through, you know, hard drives and stuff and whatever. And I found the material that I had written. I was like, huh, there's some nice stuff here, but I don't, I'm not really kind of up for a classical thing. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. So, the idea of sort of adapting some of the themes and turning it into an electronic project emerged and then I thought about it for a little bit. and I put it away and I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it. And then at some point I was like walking on a beach literally in Puerto Rico with my wife and I had this idea. I said, "You know, sweetie, I think I'm going to I think I'm going to finish my sacred spaces and i think i understand what the project's about now it's not about a search for god it's about gratitude it's about being grateful for your life and the spaces the people the memories the you know the things that that you hold sacred to like what's important to you versus having some kind of conversation where i'm going to go make some sort of uh, dramatic ego driven spiritual statement and uh, once I got that it was about gratitude, then the entire project just took off.
0: That's so powerful. And I think I heard you even started it more than 10 years ago when you were a kid, like 38 years ago or something. It's also cool because one of my superficial questions was what was your quickest project and what was your longest project? And I think you maybe just said it, two and two and a half months, was it? Two and a half weeks. Oh, two and a half weeks. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Sorry about that. And then- you know, 10 to 38 years. That's Well, I mean, I mean, you know, like,
1: I mean, and I'm not being funny, I promise, but the quickest project I ever did was I wrote an entire score for Discovery, a two hour film, thank you very much, about uh, finding the Titanic. I wrote the entire two hour score, like wall to wall music in about 47 hours. Wow. So like I didn't go to sleep, didn't do anything. Didn't go to sleep. Oh wow. It was just like music was just sort of happening. And thank goodness at that point I had an assistant and we were just basically like Q Send, Q send, Q send, oh. And it uh so that was the fastest project. I okay. don't ever I don't ever want to do that again because I mean I listened. I listened to that record and i'm proud of it i like the way it sounds mostly mostly um but i literally don't remember writing it <laughs> wow. it, it was like boom so yeah yeah it was, it was like
0: heaven just opened up and
1: yeah well you know it's funny because it, it's funny when you when you're writing other people's music and someone has a gun to your you know your uh, head and you and you yeah. and you've signed a contract uh, that's pretty much all the uh, the inspiration you got. <laughs> so
0: that that is amazing. I, oh, that brings like so many questions in my mind. Oh, I'm gonna. I don't want to get on tangents at this moment.
1: No, no, no. Do your thing.
0: Oh, well, I'm jumping, but the, so I'm coming back to sacred spaces. But sure. so many of your concepts, because I know you're also an in a born teacher. I am. Is that you say to have structure and, and just your productivity and your amazingness is part of your use of time, the way you structure your time. And I've been thinking about that, how can you program in the time of your creativity? Mm. Because like I and you know, like I might have a different rhythm and how you said create your own space. Do what you can with what you have and what right. is your space to uniquely create what you can do? So what kind of structure, maybe if it isn't quite your level and to keep raising the bar, but how do you have a gun to your you know, head and also be creative? That's
1: incredible. I, I mean, I, I, I think uh, one, of my fa- one of my favorite creative people in the world is Jerry Seinfeld. And Jerry Seinfeld writes jokes two hours every day, no matter what, whether whether he is touring or whether he's not touring or whatever, and it becomes a discipline. So I think the best way to talk about it is it's like going to the gym, it's like going to church or temple, it's like, it's literally like a, it's a structure that you put in to work the muscle of being creative, this idea that you're going to kind of sit around and wait for the inspiration to like hit you in the face like a wet fish. Um, It's it's just not, I mean, for me, I just can't operate in that space. I mean, I know people, they jump in a car and they go to the mountains and they, they wanna be inspired and whatever. And I'm inspired by that stuff, but it just feels like that's so filled with pretense when, to me, I think what being a composer is about, is about making choices. Ultimately, being a composer is I make a choice, period. And so I want to keep that muscle between my brain and my heart in good shape. And I want to make sure that that when I have an idea, or if I have something that I can do, uh, that... It's not going to be something that's atrophied with, oh, gee, I really wish I could execute on this versus I hear this idea. I hear it finished. Let's just go do it. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I I remember I wrote the theme for Good Morning America in 60 seconds. I mean, 90 seconds at most, but like really like done, finished, Wow. because I just heard it done. It's like, I mean, I, I read the creative brief and I was like, oh, OK, I got it. Da, 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 da. It was done. And so to me, you know, and I understand, you know, people are like, oh my God, you're so gifted and whatever. But consider the possibility that creativity is nothing more than permission you give yourself. Are you going to give yourself permission to act on an idea you have? Period. End of story. And so the better you become at acting on those ideas, the, the, the better you become, the more facile you become at treating those ideas and then moving forward with them. So to me, like, you know, yes, I've been a teacher, I've taught at four universities, I love teaching, I love empowering other artists, I, I consult with other artists, I work with, with people. And one of the things that I love doing is I love breaking through people's preconceived ideas about how they see themselves and their own creativity. Because most of what stops even our colleagues, our friends who are who are great at this, is they have some vision of themselves of what they think they're supposed to be versus what's possible. And so I think to me, you know, I just turned 55 and I feel like I'm in one of the most furtive, one of the most wonderful times of my life in terms of my writing, because I just gave myself permission. And yes, there's a, yes, there's a pandemic and yes, I've spent nine months at home and yes, and all that stuff. But why can't this be a creative time? You know, why does it have to be somehow modulated by like whatever opinions that I have about the state of the world right now? And to me, uh, you know, I'm having a great creative period because I'm like, you know what? I have time that I may never have again. I have access to people that I will never have again. Anybody that I contact in music is home right now, hey, I got a thing, you wanna go play in a thing? Hey, come on, we'll go do a thing, okay, great. So like, I'm in literally in the middle of finishing my fourth album of the year right now. It's, it's nuts, I just, I'm doing like a jazz fusion, progressive rock instrumental record. I put together this crazy band, it's me, Simon Phillips, who's one of the most famous drummers in the world, Tony Levin, who's one of the most famous bass players in the world, my buddy, Bob Magnuson, who's one of the best sax reed players in the world. The record's ridiculous. It's like, where did that come from? And I think it came from me just giving myself permission to be like, you know what? I've wanted to do this, I hear it, let's just go. And I think that the, the tragedy of the pandemic, so many people died, you know, 15 million people have had it, it's terrible. But one of the positives I think that's gonna happen over the next few years as people start seeing is these incredible collaborations of people getting together during the pandemic who never would have had the time. And so for me, I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity while I'm also waiting out the pandemic.
0: Ah, there's so much richness in what you shared. And also that this is an example that I get to talk to you today and during this pandemic that you're home and sharing so much and makes me think Something I think of is just saying yes. I was saying yes. yes, and your whole concept, which they call manifesting, that what I also use is you see it done. You know, like if you're writing a book, see it on the shelf and the spine with your title on it, or listening to your album and and.
1: Yeah, I mean that that's actually that's actually an exercise that I work with on with my clients is that I that they have yes days that any question anything that happens, any, any opportunity that's offered to them, they must say yes. And it's like, and w- there's two things happen. Number one, they get immediately present to how often they say no okay. <laughs> you know, and how they, def- and how they defend themselves. And then the second thing is, is that I believe that new actions create new results. End of story. Definitely. So like you, if you want to shake things up, that shake things up uh, very quickly
0: yeah you have to do things in new ways and then you make new brain pathways and totally it's just all amazingness i so when i was listening back to sacred spaces sure i just heard basically a whole new genre i heard jazz influence and and layers from your own life journey with sound and world music and edm electronic dance music pop cinematic it was it was amazing and do know you also use mindful music space and new new age music so i don't know what you'll create the name of it it doesn't maybe even need a name but
1: well i mean one of the things that i love about working at mindstream is that we are not trafficking in style and and i want to thank my kids i have two kids who are both in college and i want to thank most people under the age of 30 because if you talk to them they don't talk about style, certainly not the way that you and I did. Like, hey, you know, like, let's talk about jazz, which all of a sudden opens up this whole conversation about the history of jazz and all of this stuff. They operate in a planet where they want an experience that is devoid of the baggage that people associate with it. So, perfect example like a year ago, my daughter she goes to uh, college in uh, Scotland and she, you know, she FaceTimed me and she's like, hey, dad. I heard this amazing music. It was, it was, it was really incredible. And I just love how it makes me feel and it's wonderful. And I'm like, well, sweetie, what is it? And she played it for me. It's Billy Holiday. Mm. And I and, and I was like, uh, wow, she's she's great. I, I love Billy Holiday. And she's like, So dad, is this the part where you're gonna tell me what it is? And I'm like, not at all. Not at all, like if, you're, if you love it just because of the visceral experience to it, I think that's fantastic. If you want to have a conversation about why she is one of the most influential vocalists of all time, we could have that too, but we don't have to. <laughs> so to me, you know, at Mindstream, we have conversations about sleep music, relaxation, focus, meditation, and movement. And we say to our artists, how do we get to that place? So if I am a listener and I want to meditate, great. So create some meditation music, but you don't have to create a pattern based on all the meditation music you've ever heard in your life. You can pull out a new piece of paper and it's almost like the Goldberg Variations. When Bach did the Goldberg Variations, this guy, Mr. Goldberg, went to him 450 years ago and said, I want some music to fall asleep to. And he was, you know, he was a rich enough merchant to say, okay, well, that's what I want. So Bach had no template. He had no precedent for what he was doing. And so when he wrote the Goldberg Variations, it was, okay, well, based on what I know, this is what sleep music is. So that's the example that I give my artists on Mindstream, which is like, you can get rid of every template. You can get rid of everything that you think you know about what sleep music is. But if I am a listener and I say this music's for sleep and I hit the play button, I want to be satisfied with yes, this is going to help me sleep, no matter what style, what sound, what approach you take. And to me, it's been incredibly freeing. So the answer to your question is I, <laughs> I have no idea what genre. Sacred Spaces is it's it's definitely made it uh, challenging to pitch it to radio, oh, for, yeah. <laughs> but at this but by the same token, I think enough people have embraced it as new. Yes. Where um, you know a lot of people have gotten on the air and said, "I don't know what to call this, but I really like it," and then they spin it. It's been cool.
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing. Are you familiar with Gabriel Roth's Five Rhythms? Yes. Yeah, that's beautiful. I've done some of that, and yep. I've thought of that in terms of music. For for listeners, that's a similar five steps, but she puts it to a beautiful dance movements that just flow and they're chaotic and they're staccato and you, you feel it within your body and it's in a group setting when there's no COVID. And so it, it is that experience, like you use music to invite people to have this emotional journey in a safe space. Yes. And it really takes them somewhere. And that's just... The best there is, really. Mm. as You know, like when you would be called a sound designer, I think of an architect kind of Mm. using emotions in such a good way. It's like when you say yes, and you say some people have to go to the mountains. And for you, you create the mountains so other people can go, excuse me, to them through the music. Right. It's just this landscape of emotion that's beautiful, and they can process through it. And it doesn't get any better than that because there's no... You don't have to social I, distance.
1: Well, it's, it's really true what you're saying, because it's like, if I'm going to the mountains to be inspired, then aren't I being like a little stingy if I'm not giving the mountains to everybody who's listening to my music? Yeah. I mean, now, I did a solo piano record in 2019, Cupid Blindfolded. I went to Vermont to my friend Will Ackerman's studio, which is a yes. beautiful, beautiful place. Hear about it. It's beautiful. Highly recommend. You got to go. And you know, and Tom Eaton, the engineer, is mm-hmm. one of is one of my closest friends. He's, a, I, he's one of the best engineers in the in the world, as far as I'm concerned. He gets a wonderful sound, and Will is wonderful, and it's beautiful. And I will say categorically that I was inspired by being in that place at that time. Yes. But that wasn't when I wrote the music. Really? So, so because I wrote the music before I got there. So, but, so the idea is, is that can a place help get a performance out of you, which is entirely, and as you know, yeah. it, that's an entirely different conversation. There's the creation of the music, and then there's the performance of it. And I will tell you, as a uh, how do I want to say this? A reluctant pianist <laughs> as, you know, as somebody who is constantly associated with the piano, but I'm like, guys, you don't understand. Like I know some of the best pianists in the world. Like I'm not, I can't, I can't even be in the same room with these people, but, uh, but I'm so associated with piano that I need to be like in this big, warm, happy spot to do piano. So I got all my friends around me and I went to this lovely place and then I spent two days recording and it was good, but I needed to kind of create like a womb for myself with a piano and a room full of microphones. But but when I do electronic music and I have my own space here, you know, this is my happy space. This is my safe space, you know, and, and the studio becomes just as much of an instrument as the piano would be. So, I, I, you know, so the point I'm trying to make is there's the creation, the writing of the music, then there's the performance of it. And I think, you know, like my friends who live out in the country and they have like these beautiful things, I'm like, look, if you're not making beautiful records all the time, like you better not be saying anything because I live in the Bronx. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's like, you know, I don't, there's not a lot of like inspiring vistas here. so to me i always have to turn inward to create my own sort of horizon for my performance and what i'm you know what i'm doing musically
0: oh that's powerful that's what we all need to do especially now yeah when we're in the same space and get to know it so well so to create it into a beautiful space inside of us that's beautiful yeah and also i wish people could see you now i want to put up a picture your studio yes and there you are i hope we maybe could share it this way but for the podcasters even visual amount of pianos it's just stunning all my
1: all my little synthesizers yeah i mean i we took a spare bedroom here in our apartment and i turned it into a studio and the most important thing is a window so i have a window which is facing north we get i get beautiful light all day long and uh so this is not one of these like dark weird like studio spaces this is like it's like light all the time and then at night we have all kinds of like decorative lighting out in the courtyard and it's it's, it's really beautiful here it's a really really nice space i love my neighbors they never hear my music because i don't play that loud and um it's uh it's been a great creative space from because like we were talking it's a safe space it's a you know and it's something that really calls me to be creative and it's one of these things where I am literally like surrounded by my tools. And if I am, if I'm stuck for an idea, that's on me. That the, it, the room is not getting, like I'm, I'm constantly hearing, I'm sure you do too. I'm constantly hearing from my friends and colleagues going, Oh, uh, I got to get my studio together because my studio's not doing what I want it to do. It's like, dude, get it together. Yeah. It costs, it costs so little now to put together a powerful studio. Like, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, it would cost a fortune to put together a, a studio capable of recording an album. Now for a thousand bucks done, you can really create a recording system and you're good. So like, so to me, I, I, I know that I'm lucky. I got it. And I am very, very grateful for it. And my responsibility as a creative person is to hone myself in this space and to, and to take away as many barriers between the ideas that I have and getting them out. So that's what this, this room is all about for me. Oh,
0: I love how you answer so many things in one answer. First of all, you use everything you have so well, and I'm so thankful for the whole world that you have all that. And I'm thinking about how it's just all these sounds that you can create or just have at your fingertips and it's this cinematic language and mm. it reminds me of sonic treats and now that it's Hanukkah and Christmas it's like Santa Claus and you have all these individually chosen toys in your bag and you just can give them out here this is one is for this and that one's for that, so I wonder about some of the younger listeners and and composers and just kids and just in general they live in this digital world like where it's a text and it's all these things they see and they don't have like a phone where you put your finger in and turn that dial over eight notches just so so (laughs) different you
1: know Uh, all the rotary phone you gotta love a rotary phone right (laughs) so
0: i'm just wondering You know, because I heard that just the feeling of your fingers on the keys, the experience, like how do you, and that transports you in a way that digital, of course you also do digital, but just that to encourage people. And I'm wondering about how many keyboards do you think you might have? Uh,
1: Well, in this room, I have 14. um, And at one point I had about 20 and uh, I did promise my wife that I would uh, DXS. So I did. Uh, But I mean, but I think. You know, I think, the, I think the point you're making is the visceral experience of touching something versus looking at a virtual something mm-hmm. and dealing with that. So everyone thinks that I am some sort of like old school fool for having all of these keyboards around me. And there you go. OK, so first of all, none of these keyboards are vintage. They're all brand new. So that's number one. No, because I, I don't want to maintain a synthesizer that's 40 years old. I just, I just, yeah, my my brain doesn't go there. The second thing is, is that I love the new apps and the digital technology. I love it. I think it's great. Uh, I would say the karmic dreams, most of it was made with plugins because it was, it was really, really fast and I did it. Uh, Sacred spaces, on the other hand, I spent months and months designing sounds and creating things and, you know, using the whole room and whatever. So I think you as a sound designer synthesis, I am always looking for some sort of tactile, visceral experience. It's like when I talk to my friends who are pianists and organists and harpsichordists and whatever, and I talk about how the keyboard is always speaking to them as they go and they move around to all these different things. It's real, it really does. The feedback that you get from that piece of wood, you know this, Mm -hmm. you know, the feedback that you get from it is, intense. It's really, really important. The same thing works, I think, with electronics, because for me, I want to look at the front panel of something, and I want to make a sound adjustment. I want to, like, in real time, I'll go, yeah, I want to tweak it a little bit, I'll do this. And I might even do that in the middle of recording a part. So all of a sudden, I'm like, turning a filter or changing something in real time while I'm putting down a part in the middle of a song. And and people always say to me, like, your sounds always sound like they're changing. Well, because they are. So to me, like, I look at this as a living, breathing, organic place to work with a very, very serious respect for all the new technology that we have, which has really made it so easy to create beautiful music. It's, it's like, There's so there are so many companies making so many beautiful little pieces of technology that simplify things that I do understand when people get overwhelmed. So a game that I work with that I deal with some of my composer friends when I'm working with them and I'm I'm consulting with them is I I, 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 what we do is we talk about self limiting systems. So in music, one of the most famous self limiting systems is um, a string quartet. So you get two violins. Viola, cello. There you go. Go ahead and write. Beethoven had the same thing. Stravinsky had the same thing. Bartok had the same thing. Knock yourself out. So, what I say to some of my friends who are really having a like writer's block, or what, I, I don't even know what writer's block is, but people say they have it. But the idea is, is that okay? Pick a single instrument, or maybe two, and solve the problem now. If you feel overwhelmed with choices, limit your choices and make it a musical conversation versus a sonic conversation. So solve your music problem first, write your melody, come up with, you know, your harmonic harmonic progression, however you're gonna do it, and then go back and say, okay, now what do I want this to sound like? And I I would say in 95% of the cases, when I work with people, it really helps them sort things out because they're like, oh, okay, I was overwhelmed by choices. Okay, so first I'll do this, I'll work on the notes, then I'll work on the sounds. Okay, and then I'll tweak the performance and I'll go from there. Great. Because I think sometimes having a self limiting system puts you in a situation where it's basically like, be creative or die, <laughs> you know, like, you know, because that happens a lot when you're scoring a film, like, especially near the end of a film, you've written themes, you have sort of a basic sort of orchestration for what you're doing. Now you're locked into it. So now that you're, you're locked into the, the sounds and the colors and whatever at the end of the film, you're not going to bring in something completely different. Now it's like, solve the problem with what you have on hand solve it. Now, I mean, whether it's going to be a musical thing or a sonic thing or both or whatever. And so for me, I relish that. I love the opportunity to go do that. Um, and to, and to say, okay, I got this little orchestration going, uh, where can we drive this? What, what can we do with it? And, um, to me, um, it's, it's one of the funnest and most satisfying things about being a composer.
0: Wow. I just love all that you're sharing. It reminds me of the whole inner aspect of denial and, and our subconscious mind that programmed everything when we were a kid that makes us say we can't do it this way because just by habit, we're going to do it that way. And the excuse, they become excuses when you, if yes. you really want to change, if you want to change. It, and also just the energy and the vibration that can shift us on that deeper level where we're not thinking with our mind that gets in the way. It's just so much.
1: Well, I mean, I, I mean, what you're saying is absolutely true. Cause one of the things that happens, especially with composer who are, who are keyboardists is they'll sit down at the piano and they'll start improvising. But what they're doing is they're putting their hands into convenient shapes with muscle memory. They're not hearing anything. So what they'll do is they'll say, Oh, well, I know that my, my, this arrangement of my hand sounds nice bang. And this arrangement, my hand, my hand sounds nice. Bing. And they're not coming from, what do I hear? Now I've got to make my hands play that versus this sort of collection of sort of like pretty tones that I know that my hands can do. Um, because I think sometimes your hands can be your biggest enemy to creating new music. Yeah and uh you know and and now now you and i are into a very deep subject because i think you know you're at a party or something and someone says oh michael plays the piano you just, just, don't, just play something pretty and I, I mean on my worst day i could play something pretty but is it going to be something that's going to move the needle for myself creatively absolutely not so to me the challenge is where do you hear it do you hear it here do you hear it in your heart And then you have to figure out some way of translating it. And so, I think another another great composition like challenge is to get away from all the keyboards and to say, okay, I'm gonna sit down with an old piece of sheet music and I'm gonna write it out based on what I hear. And people are like, well, that's really old school. Come on, what are you doing? I'm like, I am again. I am working the connection between my brain and my hands. And I don't, I, I don't want to lose the ability to be able to dictate a part to myself. Or if I'm in the middle of a film score and I'm in front of 40 or 50 musicians and I'm conducting and somebody changes the picture and now I have to conduct, I have to dictate parts on the stand to everybody in the room, here we go. And that has happened many, many, many times. And you better know what you're doing. You better know what you're talking about. You better be able to transpose on the fly and do all of this like seamlessly while you have 10 people in the control room who are all going, I right, we're running out of time. Come on, you gotta go faster. And so to me, I think it is a fundamental uh, thing that you must have as a composer. It can't just be sitting down at a keyboard and waiting for the inspiration to come. It ha- you have to hear it. There's got to be some aspect of this you're hearing yourself.
0: Wow. So that brings to my mind about working inside out rather than outside in and just mm. connecting to that place in your mind that is free and it's feeling and it's you and you can get it out and whatever it be in a piano, it might not be a note, but in your life mm. that you express it. And I, mm. I, I know you said that for your creating, you get the structure first, and then you add all the sounds, rather some people might might just get lost in the ocean of sounds and it just becomes muddled, and there's no th- no core to it. like I could hear the core of your s- classical structure, especially in in your well, I'm sure in all your works, but th- but it's it's there you hear you hear that and yeah. then i'm I'm wondering, you know I've heard a few stories about how. A composer would sample sounds like they'd go and find a wire coil, electrical coil, and tap on it with a oh, hammer sure. or something. Do you do? Do you? I I, don't, I wouldn't imagine you run around the Bronx finding those sounds or wherever. But do you imagine those sounds and then create it into the music? Which would be so uh, it's inside out and then outside in.
1: Totally. Um. So I when I create sounds um, I go and I do a a number of different things. It's, it's really interesting to me that there's a whole number of people that do not describe me as a composer first. They describe me as a sound designer first. Mm -hmm. So, and part of the, part of the reason is, is that when you work in commercials, an advertising agency will not call you a composer. They're going to call you a sound designer, even if you're not necessarily, even if I'm just doing a piano track for a commercial, they'll still call me a sound designer. So that, that nomenclature that that term is is baked in with a lot of stuff and so for my whole career as a commercial guy i have been a sound designer and i've always taken that very seriously i've always loved what uh feature sound designers do um there's a very famous guy named gary rydstrom who worked on lots and lots and lots of big movies Uh, Walter Murch who worked on the Godfather movies and Apocalypse Now and you hear the sonic environment that these guys create but I think the answer to your question is a couple of things number one is do I go out into the world and record things and then bring it back and record sounds absolutely positively number two do I create a sound and synthesizer and then manipulate that Absolutely. It is very rare for me to create a sound on a synthesizer and then have it go straight to tape and then straight to a record. It is very rare. So if someone says, wow, that's really, that's really incredible what you did with that. How did you do that? I'm like, well, that's a longer conversation (laughs) So because in some cases there may be five, six, 12 steps to getting the sound the way it was and getting the performance laid in the way I wanted it. So, but the, but the idea of being a sound designer, I, I, I love it. I mean, because one of the questions I've gotten about Secret Spaces over and over again, which I think just kind of just tails into what you're saying is, when you made the sounds, and I made almost 900 sounds for the album, when you made the sounds, did you design the sounds for the music you had already written? The answer is absolutely not. In fact, I designed sounds, and I had no idea how the sounds would be applied later. So I had a whole pile of sounds. I called it my palette. I had my big palette of colors, and then I had the uh, the basic structure, the melody, and the harmonic progressions that I had started working on. And then I wrote some more stuff, and then I said, "Okay, let's put together a record." Once that happened, the record was done in six weeks. It was just like woof, done. Because I had I had all the sounds. I had, I had done the work on actually creating musical material, melodies and stuff that I really, really loved. And it, it, was just, it was just go time. What I see happening with a lot of creative people is they will create some really great sound, but they won't have any idea what to do with it. Because the sound itself isn't telling you what to do with it. Again, you've got to come from a place that says, you've got to do the foundational work of actually writing enough of a compelling musical material that will make that sound sound great in context Mm -hmm. because a sound is only great if it's working in context with everything else that happens to be around it or if it's such a great sound maybe it's the only thing that's playing at the time but but the idea is it's only a great sound if the musical material that it's playing is sort of equal to it and I, I just, you know, cause I've created lots of sounds where I'm like, yeah, that sounds really cool and whatever, but I, I, I got nothing to go with it. So it's, you know, so I probably have, I don't know, a hundred sounds, 150 sounds left over from sacred spaces that are waiting for me to like, somehow come up with some music that I think will put those sounds in a proper musical context where they will actually come to life someday and be like, yeah, that's cool.
0: You must have an amazing labeling system.
1: I'm very organized. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, my, my, my wife works for the courts. She's uh, she's actually a big mucky muck in the courts here in New York City. And she is literally the most organized person I've ever met. So I, uh, I'm i trying to take after her because no one is more organized oh, than my wife. <laughs> yeah, she's like, well, she's a Virgo. It's like, whoa, okay, no, no, no. You know, so cuz we are talking about organization, she's like, "Really, we're going to organize now?" It's like, "No, no, no, sweet, I'm uh, I'm good." I really
0: just, want to meet her. Yeah, she's right.
1: she's wonderful. She's great.
0: So, just to clarify that if you were making sound design for a movie, it it would include a squeaking door and a dinosaur and like all it, this, it, any kind of sound?
1: It, it okay, if you are a sound designer for a movie, and this is it's a great question um you are the person who is yes you're responsible for creating the sounds that do not necessarily exist in nature so there's sound editors who will take the squeaky door and the car that's driving by and the airplane and all that stuff and they'll do stuff and they might even enhance it and add stuff to it and then there's a sound designer that says okay the magical whoosh of the trolls who are doing the thing or the, or the, or the, or the the dragon or whatever, those are design sounds. But in film, there is a stone brick wall between sound and music. And there are very, very, very few people who have done anything on both sides. There's a man in California named Mark Mancina, who is a great composer. And he is also a great Sound guy. So he has won an Oscar as a sound guy, and he has also been nominated for several Oscars as a music guy. So he's one of the few people that I know who has played on both sides of that. But in film, it's it's very much like music is music and sound is sound. In commercials, mm-hmm. they are they are blurred immediately. Like so it's basically like, Oh, you're the sound designer, so we will talk to you about anything that is audio related. Period, end of story. Mm-hmm. Which which freaks out a lot of music people because they're like oh i don't know anything about sound it's like uh, okay well then you should do some study you should hang out with some people you should talk to some people i love playing with sound because i always hear the apparent music and sound like i i mean there's a uh, steve reich very famous you know minimalist composer Mm -hmm. used to hear music and people talking and all of those pieces that he was doing in the 1970s and the 1980s with the speaking and like, you know, cutting up the speaking and, and hearing all the music inside of it. I thought that was brilliant. I was like, oh, look at that. He's just taking people's voices and, and creating music out of it. Like, I think you can do that with anything.
0: Yeah, it's, I'm very fascinated with sound and the energy in sound. It sound kind of creates life and it reflects life. And I have this thing about thinking in sound. Because like the dolphins do, and they, mm. they can navigate through their life, and I'm just wondering how you, just in your everyday life, if if you're noticing sounds and if, if melodies come to you, do you go and grab them somehow, or does, um, how does that? I work? can remember.
1: I can I can remember melodies for a minute. So like if I if 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 I go away for the weekend with my wife or whatever, and it's Monday and I I heard something on Saturday, I can remember that. Um, I am much better now about sound than I used to be. When I was in my 30s, and I'd be listening to sound in a movie, I was constantly dissecting stuff. I can now sit and watch a movie and enjoy it no matter what the sound is, <laughs> I, can, I, I cannot, 20 years ago, I cannot say that, that that would happen. I'd be like, oh my God, look what he did. So, I mean, I, you know, and I say this to my kids all the time. It's like, when I was 25, I knew everything. Now that I'm 55, I know nothing. I know mm-hmm. absolutely nothing. And I'm trying to stay open To experiences that will help inform whatever it is that I want to do, but I don't, I don't know anything. And so it just makes it so much easier if I want to go watch a movie. Okay. I like the sound. That's nice. Hey, look at that. But I'm 20. Oh, Karen, 20 years ago, I was a lunatic. I was like, ah, look what he did. And And I think, and I think all creative people go through that journeyman process of dissecting things and wanting to know how things were there and you become very process oriented and I think that I reached a certain point in my life of I don't know if I just had enough experiences or I don't know what but I stopped I, I, I stopped that and I, I sort of forgave myself for being a person who was about process and now I'm only about how does it feel like oh, what am I, I what, what am I left with emotionally at the end? end oh. of story. It's like I don't. I don't care how you got there. What did it, how, how do I feel at the end of this?
0: Well, so one of my questions is: How do you put emotions into the sound? Like, how do you have the music? Is there any? Is it just a gift that you have that you can know how you want the listener to feel?
1: Okay, I don't have okay it would be it's a great question and it's it's also an impossible question and i love you and it's fine so so i have no way of knowing what someone will feel when i write something it would be the worst kind of arrogance to say i am going to draw feelings from you from my music it would be the worst kind but
0: how about if the listener feels what you're feeling like we feel what bach like is a. frozen time capsule.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, but so you have to remember that when I'm working on my music, I am listener number one. So as listener number one, if I'm not feeling something, I better take a look at why I'm not like if it's something is sort of if something is just sort of like laying there like like, you know, like locks on a bagel and it's like not really doing anything then I got to look at this and say, OK. What what block do I have at this moment Mm -hmm. for that? So this goes back to what we were talking about five minutes ago about putting the sounds you create in a context where they can do their best. I would now, based on your question, I'd go one step farther. Put the sounds that you have, even if it's the sound of a piano, even if it's like an acoustic guitar, Mm -hmm. put put that sound in a context that's going to make you feel something what it's going to make you emote the other part of it is is that even though i'm working with electronic instruments i'm still feeling something as i am playing the notes that i want to you know put out to the world it's not i'm not a computer so to me if the sound i'm playing and the performance i'm doing doesn't emote if it's not emotive it's the wrong performance so to me Um, it's more important for a synthesist and somebody who is a sound oriented type person to put that emotion into their performances even more than a pianist. Because I think a piano is one of these things that's kind of like, okay, where do you want to go emotionally right now? I'll go anywhere you want to go. A synthesizer is literally the opposite of that. So you've got to really be working with that instrument and saying, okay, How can I be putting either the sound in the context, or how can my performance help me emote what I'm feeling at this point? If I'm not feeling something, then I need to go actually back to the writing process and say Mm -hmm. that I need to write something that's going to actually come from someplace emotionally. It can't just be a a, a string of pretty pretty notes. Like I I just, I, I mean, I know there's a bunch of people who who they spend a lot of time designing music and they, and they do it because they, you know, it becomes a, a product. I can't, I can't do that. It has to come from a real emotional place for me. I have to have an emotional connection to it.
0: It's like being the ultimate actor mm-hmm. that you're feeling it. And you're, well, I could call your renaissance, Man, but it just the fact that you do the mixing and the mastering?
1: I don't master. I, oh, I, think, okay. I, think, mm-hmm. I think I I think I do mix, but I think mastering should be done by somebody else. You want another pair of ears on your music. Okay. I think that's important.
0: But the sound placement when you're listening.
1: Oh sure. I just feel Definitely.
0: like I'm in a movie theater already without anything.
1: <laughs> no, no, and I think and I think that's and I think that's great. I I, I love the idea that it, it you listen to the music and all of a sudden you feel the space. One of my favorite quotes, uh, Quincy Jones, who's a world famous pop producer, worked with Michael Jackson and everybody, you know, he was always talking about what he used to call ear candy, and he Mm -hmm. would put parts on the way left and the way right, Mm -hmm. and... And it would be one of these things where it would just be like, you could barely hear it. Like, if you listen to, like, Michael Jackson's tracks, especially from Thriller, you hear these little tones and these little parts and these little things that just sort of, like, float in and out. And he would say, that's ear candy. And it would would just be, like, this beautiful way of kind of, like, finishing the track and giving it, like, a sheen and a finish that the song was great and the vocals great and all that stuff, but it gives it like this sort of completeness, this this three-dimensionality that I I always loved. And so it's it's always something that I've tried to achieve in my own music, which is to give your ears, your left and your right ear as much sonic information to create that three-dimensionality without distracting you from the important musical material that you have, you know, front and center. Wow.
0: And I think one of the foundational Keys to the gems of your success is that you're always willing to become a student, and nowadays we are we have our YouTube teachers and that are as far away as our Google search, and just that whole added, humble attitude towards life and creating I think is is just really awesome. I, I well
1: thank you I, I I that's a that's a deep compliment I, I appreciate that a lot I think um, I think as a creative person. It's the journey is always about learning. It's always about keeping your ears open. And um, I, uh, when I hear friends of mine who are, they, they come from such a, I know what this is supposed to be. I'm always like, you might want to take a second and just, just step back from it and just look at the situation, the album, the creative problem from just another point of view. Because I, I know when I get very positional, about a choice that I've made as a musician, it's probably gonna be the wrong choice.
0: <laughs> wow. And so I wanna ask, this is a little personal, but I had the great joy in my, I'm gonna date myself, but it wasn't starting in my late teens of being in the house orchestras in L.A. city. So I paid with the whole Rat Pack and I got to play the Nelson Riddle, the, the arrangements, and just be in this <clears> middle of this lush sound. and. David Foster created somewhere with with Barbra Streisand that, that I love that. recommend and I, I heard that love that and I went oh my gosh that's incredible I had to hear this whole album so that's looped with your sacred spaces now and it's gonna yeah. be um, foundational for me so beautiful did, and he did all that did he do that digitally or yeah it's oh I, it's, my gosh yeah the
1: entire the entire track is uh, synthesizers. Uh, uh piano and electric piano he did it on the road it's beautiful and, Dave, and david's a genius i mean i mean the guy's won what 16 70 grammys and wow. he's worked with barbara and Whitney Houston and everybody and whatever and and but one of the things that you can hear in david's music is that david is a guy he's a monster keyboard player monster pianist monster 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 he played sessions with everybody and monster but he is a guy who makes choices. He's not one of these guys who gets on a, on a keyboard and puts 10 fingers down. Everything is always about the arrangement. Everything is always about supporting the melody. Everything is about supporting and framing the vocal perfectly. And, and you see the choices he makes, you're just like, God, this is wow. so good. And it just goes back to the beginning of this conversation. Being a composer, being a producer, being an arranger, being an orchestrator is about the choices you make and how 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 in focus are the intentions that you have. Like if I'm working with a vocalist, it's only about the vocalists. It's never about my track, ever, 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 ever. Everything that I'm doing has to be transparent to their performance, period, that's it. And David knows that and he's such a great producer. Oh.
0: The only disclaimer I'll make is he put a lot of people out of work.
1: <laughs> uh, he, did. he did. Not just
0: him, but I mean, it's but it is incredible. I hope um, the listeners can listen to that. It's there's just so much richness and uh, oh. so many blessings.
1: Yep, definitely. Yeah,
0: and you have given us so many blessings and gems today. I know the listeners are going to want to find out more about you and to keep up with all of your exciting projects, please visit michaelwhalen.com. That's Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-W-H-A-L-E-N.com. He also has an amazing YouTube channel that you do not wanna miss. He's a huge gifted filmmaker as well. We didn't have a chance to talk about that, but you'll find that at Michael Whalen. Also his Facebook page is lots of fun to subscribe to. And on Instagram, it's Michael underscore Whalen underscore music. So thank you so much. It's just such a joy to have discovered all of your music and, and there'll be so much more. I would love for you to share a track with the listeners, whatever you could share would be a great gift.
1: Uh, sure. I mean, I, you know, uh, we, we talked about uh, holiday music. Yeah. Uh, I did a track back in 1995, which seems like a really long time ago. <laughs> um, I did an arrangement of uh, God, yet, or God Rest You Mary Gentlemen, and uh, I recorded it at the power station here in New York City. And uh, the track is incredibly simple, you think. Um, so I am playing a synthesizer with a harp sound and a woman named Melanie Coyne, who is a wonderful oboist, who's played with the orchestra of St. Luke's, and she's played with a million people, whatever. She is an awesome player, um, and she played three parts. So I wrote three different parts, and then just this harp thing. Um, it's really, uh, it's it's really a beautiful track. Um, it's one of my favorite things that I've done because I think, and this goes back to what we were saying. It's it's all about choices. There's so much space. There's so much. Of this sort of um, uh, what they call sort of negative space, the tension between notes, and I love and I love that. And and it doesn't have you know any strings, and there's no pads, and there's no there's no nothing. It's literally just the reverb on the harp and Melanie's beautiful oboe, and the thing just soars. I just love it.
0: Wow, it's, it's about the power in silence and the power in yeah. space, and it's maybe a precursor to your sacred spaces.
1: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you know, I think it's funny, someone called me a sonic maximalist. (laughs) 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 You know, because I'm like, I'm like, ah, okay, I mean, what I what I think I like is I think that I like to make choices based on what I'm doing. Like, if you go back and listen to God, your rest, you merry gentlemen, or my solo piano music, you will hear it's very minimal. It's very sparse. I like that. I like the space. So if I'm doing something that wants to get on its feet and be more sort of sonically big, I guess sort of like sacred spaces, I'm happy to do that. But I also do like things that are quiet and have that meditative thing to it. So that that's that's definitely God rescue you, major gentleman.
0: Wow. Well, thank you. And and to recommend really listening to it in a calm sacred space where you can really take it all in. It's yeah. just so much, and it's been so rich and so much joy so many blessings so many gems and gifts that you shared it's from my heart
1: thank you very much for the thank opportunity thank, thank i mean so I, I i i can only, i can only speak to the listening so thank you very much because I, I i appreciate the opportunity
0: oh thank you and many blessings thank you. wow <laughs> to the Sounds of Healing podcast. Please subscribe to our community as we raise our vibrations and offer support and celebration. To learn more about today's story and guest and to receive free gifts, please visit karenolson.com. That's K-A-R-E-N-O-L-S-O-N and click on podcast. Until next time, may you have many sound blessings.